Welcome to the Farcast, bringing you insights into Wall Street, Washington, and the world. I'm producer Harry Jennings, and this week I'm coming to you with another abbreviated edition of the Farcast. Michael Farr has been traveling extensively this week, giving presentations around the country, and, well, he's currently recuperating before another trip next week to New York and the Hightower Day with the Stars event. This week, I wanted to share with you an edited version of a presentation that Michael has been delivering in in different iterations uh, for different venues that's titled An American Solution. Uh, This was a recording that that I made as we were rehearsing the the presentation uh, a week ago or so, and uh, it's something that I really wanted to share. And in this 20-minute speech, Michael outlines a lot of the larger social, political, and geopolitical threats to the American economy and offers a solution. Uh, The solution that he offers comes from American exceptionalism, and not an exceptionalism that we should be accepted from responsibility from the vicissitudes of history, but rather that America is exceptional, and that in this time, this crossroads in history, we have a privilege of answering the challenges that the world gives us in ways that are uniquely American, uh, in ways that are exceptionally American. but only if we have the courage to rise to the challenges that face us. But first, I wanted to share a quick word with Dan Mahaffey on the developments in Washington this week, and he's under the weather as well. Uh, So earlier today, uh, as you may have read, uh, today's Tuesday the 27th that I'm recording this, uh, there was a closed-door meeting at the White House between President Biden, high-level congressional leaders, their staffs, Uh, And currently, the government is facing a partial shutdown coming at midnight on Saturday. While details are lacking from the meeting that occurred on on Tuesday, there does appear to be a consensus in keeping government functioning. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Mike Johnson, Hakeem Jeffries, they they all came out of the meeting expressing optimism and a deal could be reached. And House Speaker Johnson notably said that he unequivocally, uh, unequivocally was the word that he used, wants to avoid the, the looming shutdown. So in exchanging text with uh, Dan today, he said the communication that he's had with uh, sources on the Hill that uh, another continuing resolution appears to, to be likely. And for those of you who uh, uh, listen to the show regularly, you know the continuing resolution is just a, it's a polite way of saying kick the can down the road. Um, and that, uh, that another eventual... Uh, drop dead date uh, will will come, but it won't be it won't be this week, uh, and that's kind of seen as the least bad of poor options by most. Uh, Speaker Johnson, in particular, wanted to avoid a CR, uh, but the continuing resolution uh, as a solution wants to to finally have a, a a full funding the government, everything set in the budget, all of the 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 various appropriations bills passed. Um, and that doesn't appear that that's going to be likely to happen this week, but everybody seems to be very sure, certain on avoiding the, the shutdown. And work continues on, on that grand deal. Uh, and Dan says that it's unlikely that we will see that, uh, that final appropriations, uh, set of appropriations made uh, for, a, for an ongoing solution to the, this, this kind of slow-moving crisis uh, that we've been in for months now. Uh, that a resolution to that is not likely this week, but we do appear to be closer. It's not impossible. Uh, but the continuing resolution seems to be a, a pretty likely outcome and that a shutdown is very unlikely. 
Um, it's been an interesting week in the markets. Uh, we saw the S&P 500, Pierce 5100, uh, on Friday, actually touched 5111 uh, early in Friday's uh, session, around three or four minutes after the opening. Um, Michael uh, wrote in his market commentary this week, uh, which that should be available tomorrow for those of you who are subscribers. And for those of you who are not subscribers, uh, you, know, you can email me at hjennings at uh, farmiller.com. I'll be happy to put you on the list, and you'll get that as soon as, uh, as, soon as it comes out this week. Um, the S&P is now trading around 20 times next year's earnings. So that means uh, if, a, if a company is generating $1 in earnings over the next tw uh, 12 months, uh, that that stock costs $20 right now. And uh, the average valuation has been around 16 times uh, earnings over the last two decades. Uh, and, you know, different companies obviously traded different valuations for different reasons. So that's a, that's a, a very big picture, um, uh, very big picture, 30,000-foot view. But uh, it is significant, that difference between a 16 times average valuation and a 20 times valuation. That's actually two statistically significant uh, deviations, two standard deviations more expensive than the average. So when you're looking for uh, to, to buy low and sell high, which is uh, basically what we try to do in investing, uh, it's very simple, really. Buy low, sell high. But it's not always easy. And finding something to buy low right now is, is not easy, uh, and, uh, but perhaps not impossible. And, and Michael's commentary uh, goes into uh, some, of the, some of the different factors that are moving the market right now and some of the things to look for as a long-term investor. So again, if you'd like to read that, please, uh, please reach out to me. I'll be happy to get you on the distribution list. Uh, but now, uh, as promised, uh, here's an edited version of Michael's presentation, An American Solution. I hope you enjoy it. I'd like to talk with you tonight a little bit about economics, about some problems that I see in the world and how they're going to affect the U.S. economy and stock markets. And I'm going to go over some problems. And then I'm going to offer a solution to those problems. So don't think that I'm going to leave you hanging. I said I was going to talk about economics. And um, uh, so let, let's, let's begin. Let's start with the U.S. economy. The U.S. economy is okay. It's okay. We've recovered from the pandemic and the economy is expanding. Inflation is increasing at a much slower rate. Unemployment remains at historic lows and the stock market is near historic highs. It's not bad. Good news, right? Maybe. And then maybe, that maybe there is because of the why. Why has everything recovered the way it's recovered? Why are all those numbers moving in the right direction? My answer is uh, that maybe the reason it's all growing stems from not that good a reason. Maybe maybe we're seeing positive symptoms. From, we all feel better because we're taking drugs. What, at what price to feel good is my question. During the pandemic, Congress and the Treasury sent out a lot of money. They sent checks to Americans at home and the Federal Reserve lowered interest rates to zero, to zero. So the cost of money 
became essentially free for those who wanted to borrow it. And even those who didn't want to borrow it got some at home. They took a lot of gasoline and threw it on the embers of the economic U.S. economic fire. And guess what? You throw gasoline on embers, it works, works. And the places heated up. This was a huge surge of cash that reinflated the sagging, squishy U.S. economy. To quote President Biden, here's the deal. Here's the deal. In 2023, the United States had revenues, revenues of $4.4 trillion. We brought in through tax receipts and fees at the state parks and all the money that they bring in, $4.4 trillion. Not bad, not bad. And then the United States government proceeded to spend $6.13 trillion. Let me just hit you with that one again. Four, four, six, point one three. We spend we spent one point seven trillion more dollars than we had in income. One point seven trillion more. We have a national debt of thirty four point two trillion dollars, and actually that was last week when I took these notes. It's higher now. 34.2 trillion is higher right now. That's the program we're on. There is no plan right now in the US government and the Congress of the United States to try and balance that budget and to say we're gonna spend within our means. It's not out there. And when we spend more than we earn and we increase the debt, we create a bill that we're going to pass to future generations. Concern number two, we have a dysfunctional government and a level of dysfunction that I have not seen before. We have become a government and a governing of, by blame and by casting each other and the American people into two categories of victims and victimizers. And we pit them against each other. And there are a whole lot more victims than victimizers. So we're going to sell to them. Washington has been a place and politicians on national television don't seem to have any compunction against lying. They posture, but they don't lead. They get reelected. Capitol Hill is like Lord of the Flies. The American people in the center we're all piggy. Alexander Fraser Titler was a Scottish advocate and judge, 1747 to 1813. He said, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote themselves largesse from the public treasury. And from that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising for the most benefits from the public treasury, with the result that democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy, and it's always followed by a dictatorship. In the late 1950s, John F. Kennedy wrote Profiles in Courage. 
It is precisely because they did love themselves, because each one's need to maintain his own respect for himself was more important to him than his popularity, because his desire to win or maintain a reputation for integrity and courage was stronger than his desire to maintain his office. What happens to the country, to the world, depends on what we do with what others have left us. Let's talk about Ukraine for a second. We have a bully in Vladimir Putin who's trying to take over a democratic country and restore the Soviet Union. I was in the Soviet Union. I went there to teach how to open the stock markets. I was a consultant uh, in the late 80s and early 1990s to the Moscow and St. Petersburg Stock Exchange. And I went and stayed at the Hotel Pribaltiskaya on St. Vasily Island, Vasily Island, uh, in Leningrad. I went to Leningrad. They changed the name to St. Petersburg. Hmm? And I taught, I taught capitalism to communists, to socialists. It was wild, I gotta tell you, it was wild. But the people were lovely and they were starved for knowledge. And they invited me to their homes and they cooked a meal for me that I found out later was most, took most of their month's expenses. And they offered me wine to drink and they were lovely people, just human beings. A mother, a father, two children and a grandmother living in a one bedroom apartment. And the grandmother got the bedroom, the parents slept in the living room one of the daughters sort of slept uh, more towards the kitchen and one slept in the bedroom with the grandmother. There was one bathroom. There was a small kitchen. It was an ugly concrete building. It was like those Soviet era movies. But the people were lovely. The Russian people don't hate us. We don't hate the Russian people. There's a bully and over a half a million lives have been lost because Vladimir Putin wants to restore the old Soviet Union to its glory because he wants the economic routes that he can have if he takes over Ukraine. This creates a disruptive force in Europe. It creates a disruptive force in trade. It magnifies the power of this bully and socialist and it slows the global economy. The global economy gets hurt. All of a sudden, defense spending and more lives are lost. This takes us down a very bad road. But there's an economic cost for us. There's an economic cost for the US. And by the way, when we spend money over there, 60 cents of every dollar comes back pretty much to an American uh, uh, manufacturer of either airplanes, uh, ammunitions, defense contractors, all the way around. Um, it's important. It's important as an example to the world. China, Xi Jinping in China has done one of the dumbest things I've ever seen a leader do. 
He has sacrificed his own economy for his priorities of his perfect China ideal, his grand Chinese ideal of a great China that does not include all those dumb capitalists over in Hong Kong. So let's shut that down. And there's this guy named Jack Ma who founded their own version of Amazon. It's called Alibaba. Gone. Forget about that. Jack Ma is living in exile. Now he wants to take Taiwan. And their economy is collapsing and their unemployment is through the roof. And they've got a real estate debt crisis that's trillion dollars at this point. They've got serious trouble. They have an aircraft carrier, one, one. Last month, a US surveillance plane did a flyby over the Chinese aircraft carrier. And as is absolutely normal, they scrambled two flighter, fighter jets uh, to go out and fend off the US surveillance plane. They scrambled those jets from land. They didn't have the ability to scramble them from the aircraft carrier. It's one, they've got one and it's in horrible shape. That isn't to say that Xi Jinping couldn't use a good war right now. He's got a struggling economy. He's got a lot of young people out of work. Hell, maybe he puts them on whatever boats he has and sends them over to Taiwan. They still have an economy, but remember, he doesn't want an economy. He's making a huge mistake. You do not pursue. You cannot be successful in the pursuit of a political philosophy without a stable and successful economy, period. But Winston Churchill said, never interrupt your enemy when he's in the middle of making a mistake. Let's let China go. Sadly, they were the growth engine of the world 10 years ago the economic growth engine of the world. How'd they do that? A lot of debt, a lot of debt, a lot of debt. It's coming home to roost. They're even buying their own stocks in the stock market now to support the level of stocks in the stock market uh, so that they can have some sort of investment in capital creation. China's focus on this philosophy to the exclusion of their economy hurts all of us. So you see my theme here, there's an economic penalty and payment for what's happening with Ukraine. There's an economic payment and penalty with what's already happening in China and what Xi Jinping wants. And now let's move over to the Middle East. Middle East is something different. This is not the pursuit of a philosophy. This is a religion. These are religious zealots on both sides and each side believes that they're right and they hate the other side. And they don't hate them a little, they hate them a lot. I'm not sure what the US can do to fix any of it, but it destabilizes a region. And when you destabilize transit through the Red Sea and start firing on ships, the ships stop going through the Red Sea and all of a sudden cargo prices double to go around and not use the Red Sea, go around Africa and not use the Red Sea. Takes a lot longer. And by the way, the insurance on all of those ships goes up. And this affects the economy. Peace and stability are the bedrock of positive economic growth. We have real concerns. We need a government who will help address these concerns. And we need leadership that we don't have. 
I was fortunate enough to speak to a group of parents and children, and I was asked to speak to the teenage and college age and 20-something children in this group and explain much of what I'm explaining to you uh, in a way that, in a very similar way. And I went on to tell them, I said, look, you guys want to tell me that you're unhappy with the world. Great. And you've got people who are telling you you're victims. You're not victims. You're not victims. You go to great schools. You're not hungry. You've never worried about where you were going to get clothes. You might worry about new cleats. That's a first world problem. Your families have cars. You're going to get educated. You're some of the luckiest people on earth and you're walking around mad. You want to do something? Go out and change it. Go out and be a, and make a difference here in the world. But we have to provide some leadership too. You see, America is the place that people from around the world uh, come. America is the place. P people come here because they can do something here. They can't do anything else. You've got to realize how lucky you have it and how great this country is and what can be accomplished here. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Politicians in Washington now want to tell you that they're going to provide happiness, not the bedwork for the pursuit of happiness. We're just going to try and give you enough so you'll be happy. We'll give you enough money so you can have a cell phone, cable TV, and McDonald's. Take away pizza. Play your video games. There's the opiate of the people for 2024. Internet and some dominoes. Oh, and a cell phone. Great. That's not what America's about. The pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness can happen here. It's a great gift that we have, that we can form a company here, that we can pursue a dream here. I wrote a book called, that, that basically posited that the US economy, that the American dream was the bedrock and foundation of the US economy. Things can happen in this country that create businesses and jobs and opportunities and everything else that don't happen the way, it doesn't, doesn't happen any, that way anywhere else around the world. Brent Scowcroft, General Brent Scowcroft wrote the foreword. Brent said, Brent said that throughout his life, people and parents worked harder and sacrificed so that their children could enjoy better lives. He said that I fear that our generation may bear the stain of having enjoyed that better life for ourselves today, for having spent money we didn't have from our future generations and handing them the debt, handing them the bill for the decisions we, to which we thought we were entitled today. General Scowcroft said, but ours was never a government designed to make all of us prosperous. It was designed to allow you to become prosperous if you worked hard, 
within the rules. And what were the rules? They forced you, if you will, to be honest and not cut corners. In a sense, those rules reflected what is so well summed up in the West Point Cadet Honor Code, that a cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. So my answer, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm wrapping it up, my answer, ladies and gentlemen, kind of twofold here. We need to remember who we are. America has a religion. It's noble and sacred and pure, and it's carried in the hearts and souls of our citizens and is the pride and legacy of a committed, self-reliant and determined generation upon generation. America's faith is one of possibility and hope, longing, yearning, hard work, and in spite of intimidating and almost impossible odds, glorious triumphs, America offers her fertile, self-reliant loam for fabulous imaginings that grow into steps tenaciously taken and result in victories previously thought impossible. This faith is so pervasive that it's unwise to tell Americans they can't because the American heart will reflexively whisper back, oh, yes, we can. America's religion is our American dream. This message is a reminder of who we are and what we hold dear. It's also a call to arms. It's a call for each of us to remember the sacrifices and labors of our parents and grandparents who nudged our generation forward. I hope too that it will needle our collective conscience about our responsibility to the future generations of Americans, that we will both provide leadership and demand leadership of our leaders, that we demand accountability, and that we demand that this leadership that holds itself out as an example to the world as they get out of limousines and shake hands and go to state dinners, carries this American message. This is who we are. We are a shining city upon a hill. We have created something better here than has existed anywhere else in the world and any other time in the world. And if you all screw this up for my grandchildren, God forgive you. And it doesn't have to happen, but the pendulum swinging too far. This is not about the provision of happiness. It's about the pursuit of happiness. And it's absolutely in us. And there are risks and threats out there the clouds are on the horizon, but it doesn't mean the end. It means that we have to pay attention, that we need to come together, we need to remember who we are, and we need to get it done. I really thank you for listening to me and inviting me to be with you. Uh, I've known many of you for a long time, and um, I really believe it, ladies and gentlemen, we can get this done together. We can't kid ourselves. We can do this but it's going to take work. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week on this Farcast special edition. 
Next week, we'll try to have another special edition for you, and in two weeks' time, we should be back on our regular schedule. The Farcast is produced by Michael Farr and Harry Jennings and comes to you weekly for free on all major podcast platforms, including Google, Spotify, TuneIn, and Apple Podcasts. You can stream past episodes as well as subscribe so you never miss a new one. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Thanks for listening to The Farcast. Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, and a CC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. All information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC and any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties, expressed or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC and any of its affiliates assume no liability or any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and the materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller and Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented in any way to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax and or legal advisors for related questions.